0: going on and welcome back to another edition of the just swinging it podcast we're here live on twitter spaces again we're still trying to get this figured out um we apparently twitter gives you pretty weird um audio files as far as the recording so john's attempting a new set tonight so if the audio sucks if you're listening to this in podcast form on spotify or wherever the audio sucks um let us know so we can tweak it um in the future, but how have you guys been doing this week?
1: I've been doing good, staying busy, working, uh, working on the house. It was just taking off all my storm windows and everything today. So lots of work to be done, but it's good.
2: Yeah, have been busy myself uh, just uh, with work and a little bit of music and watching these markets go crazy.
0: Yeah. I've been alright. The dog uh, freaking dog cornered a skunk last night at about like midnight, one AM, so I had to get up and deal with that. That was not so fun. But anyway,
1: my, I, do what My brother's my brother's got a a farm up in northern Wisconsin and his dog chased down a a skunk once and the skunk sprayed him and his house stunk the dog was so it, it was terrible it was yeah. a dumb dog
0: yeah that's what happened um to our dog he got sprayed but i think maybe it sprayed right as soon as he like ran out in the yard and it might have you know it, he might not been that close because it didn't get in his eyes or anything like that but it was all over and luckily um we have a, like a split level house so we was able to shut off the the top and then downstairs it's you know it's just concrete floor and stuff right now so he really didn't make too much of a mess it didn't um you know cause too much of a, a stink that wasn't um we weren't able to get out and then we just searched online I guess the AK, AKC said use like peroxide and baking soda and dish detergent and that seemed to work and and he's a German short hair pointer so don't real. he doesn't really have like very much hair so Right now, it you know if you walk downstairs, you can smell it a little bit, but the dog seems to not stink. It was just more of having to deal with that at you know one a.m. kind of kind of sucked. Um, but yeah, um, with that, um, today, you know, we're gonna talk about a few different things. We'll jump into just how the market is doing in general. Talk about some different news and things like that that are going on. Um, there's been quite a few earnings on um, this week, especially today that will. We'll hop into, and um, yeah, if anybody wants, anybody who's listening would like to jump in and give their thoughts, or you know, ask a question, or basically, if you want to talk about anything, feel free to um, just request, and we'll we'll get you in at some point. Um, but first thing we're gonna do is the same thing we do every single week on here is um, we're gonna have Fat Baby Funds um, teach us something about um, financials. Let's go for it.
1: So we've talked a little bit about capital expenditures in the past, uh, but it's a huge part of running a business. So what I really wanted to talk about today was when a business has extra cash, sort of how they use it. And there's a few ways that you can do that. You can reinvest it in the business, sort of like Facebook's doing with uh, Oculus, where they're sort of going after MetaQuest, all that kind of stuff, spending a lot of money trying to grow future sales. Then the other options are you can, you can uh, overall do uh, stock buybacks, which if you have a lot of cash laying around. You just basically buy back the shares. And another option is to give dividends as well. So you have all those three different options and each has its own strengths. Um, personally, my preference for companies is either to do stock buybacks or to reinvest in the business. Dividends can be a worse form of spending extra capital because what you're doing is you're giving cash back, which is a taxable event. But then on top of that, the stock buyback can be better than the dividends because when you do a stock buyback, after that stock buyback, you own more of that business than you did before. As a company buys back its own stock, you as a business uh, owner own more of that stock than you did before so that's sort of why it just mathematically it works out better for you in the long term if the stock appreciates um so really just watching how a company spends its money is important to look at dividends aren't bad a lot of investors love dividends the difference between dividends and stock buybacks isn't huge by any means but it's important to understand When a company does get to this point where they are generating all this extra cash, what are they doing with it? Because you don't want it just to sit on the balance sheet. That's not what you want in a business. You either want it to be returned back to the shareholders or reinvested in the business somehow.
0: Yeah, and I I think that goes along with, um, you know, especially one of the companies that you've been looking at um, today, of course, Airbnb. will we'll get to their earnings maybe a little le- uh, later, but they announced um, you know a two million dollars share buyback. Um, what is your thoughts? I guess on that, but but more so, not just um, Airbnb. Um, what comes down? You know, you work in finance. Um, how is that decision made? Um, to hey, we need the buybacks in stocks, or we need to offer um, a stock buyback.
1: Yeah, so a lot of it comes down to sort of the health of your balance sheet. Above all, you want a healthy balance sheet. And so Airbnb's a strong company. They have a healthy balance sheet. Really what it comes down to a lot of times, and Netflix is a hilarious one about this, people try to use stock buybacks when they have a bad quarter. So for instance, they, they expect the stock's going to go down and they want to send confidence into their investors. So they say hey, you should be buying the stock because we are too. So a lot of times that's how management thinks. Um, There's other companies that do a very good job of just regularly buying back stock because they're cash printing machines that are doing really well. So I would prefer businesses that have a consistent stock buyback cadence um, versus other ones. For instance, Airbnb, I'll pull it up right now, but I bet if you pull it up, they've issued more shares than they've bought back. So they're not a cash printing machine right now. They have turned uh, net positive, but they probably have a ton of stock-based compensation out there. And their stock buybacks are probably really just offsetting the issuances they have. Uh, So when I look at that, I don't even consider that really a buyback as much as it's just offsetting stock-based compensation.
0: Yeah, they they appear to, you know, have had a pretty good quarter. They beat, you know, EPS. um their expected, you know, pr- profit per shares. They beat that. Um, you know, their expected revenue for this quarter is quite a bit higher than what was expected. Um, the long-term stays increased, you know, about 25% from a year ago. You know, they got pretty high net profit revenues up from, you know, A year ago, of course, I I don't know how much it's up. I think they announced it was up 58%. But again, a year ago, two years ago was COVID. Nobody was really staying there. But we can get into those uh, a little bit later. Uh, Fat Baby, do you have any more um, that you would like to discuss as far as, uh, you know, what you're talking about here on cash flow?
1: Yeah, the only other thing I would say on uh, Airbnb, I did pull it up. They've issued 30 million shares in the past year. So when they're talking about a $2 billion buyback, you've issued 30 million shares. So a lot of times these companies act like they're doing this big, big deal with these stock buybacks, when in reality, they're just offsetting stock-based compensation. So they're really not doing much other than saying, we got a lot of cash on our balance sheet, more than we need.
0: I got you. Um, before we go too much farther, John, do you just want to give a rundown of, of how the market's been performing this last week?
2: yeah we've got the classic bear market bounce um i hope that it doesn't suck a lot of people in i look for things to go a lot lower we still got the s p bearish trend even though the despite the rally in s p and despite the rally in gold and silver as well they both remain bearish trend as well you have oil which just broke a uh, bullish trend is now bearish trend and this is the short that we've talk, uh, talked about on previous episodes. Um, that is probably one of the best shorting opportunities right now. And probably along with corn as well. But if you're looking at oil as a commodity specifically, anything under $95 is a good shorting opportunity. So if you short at $95, uh, that would be a really good level to get short. And then if you get a, a massive down move, As the volatility expands in oil, you just got to take those profits. And then if it gets closer to 95 again, you just, you basically reshort it. Um, That's kind of the game plan. That's probably the biggest opportunity on the board right now is going short oil as it makes the transition to bear market and commodities along with it. I think a lot of people have missed the run in commodities as been one of the only sectors or not sectors but asset classes to be long and now I feel like a lot of people is probably piled in um, towards the top of these markets and now they're starting to break down so you're going to have these bearish trend signals across the board in commodities which is going to be a really nice short selling opportunities moving on to Bitcoin it's still bearish trend uh, pretty much all the main asset classes are Uh, especially now with commodities breaking down so really nothing bullish to really look at in my opinion as of right now the only thing on my radar is the u.s dollar versus other currencies it's been bullish but that run is about um i wouldn't say over but you're getting to the last third of that move and the risk to reward is on the higher end to be getting into currencies plus for most people currencies is a hard um a hard asset class to really uh, go long or go short Um, if you're in the futures market it's a little easier but i would say for most people it's not very attractive you have to use a lot of leverage in order to make any substantial gains and a lot of people that are in retirement accounts or even i would say most people are in long only accounts anyways so that opportunity is not very appealing to most investors it's not as sexy as talking about companies or any of these other things that that are more appealing for people to speculate on so i would say the overall market's still bearish in pretty much all asset classes except for currencies and uh, one of the best opportunities is shorting oil
0: Yeah, I got you. We're definitely seeing a little bit of a bounce here. Who knows how, you know, how long this will will stay. I don't know that we're going to go back to, you know, the lows we saw, you know, a month ago, but I certainly don't think we're, you know, we're going to continue up here. We still got super high inflation that hasn't really went down any, Um, you know, we're, we're kind of in a recession whether whether they want to say it or not, just by definition. Um, I guess some of the metrics really aren't that bad as far as some of the job market um, stats and stuff like that. But yeah, in my opinion, I think we could see a, you know, a little bit of a sideways, you know, back and forth move here for a while, which, um, you know, if you're a trader it could be, you know, it could be a pretty good thing. There's going to be a lot of up and down bounces. I think, um, The parents in here, what's your thoughts on how the market's been performing right now? And, um, you know, what's your outlook for the next few months?
3: Hey, guys, appreciate y'all having me up. Um, And just FYI, I I may have to jump off if I get a call, but um, no, it's been a while since I've talked to you guys. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I heard you just say that you you thought that um, that the. I guess the bearish oil trade was a or shortened oil was a was a good play right now it's kind of interesting because I don't see it really dropping a whole lot I mean maybe in the short term uh, on a technical basis but um I really don't see oil dropping that much um in the near term so that's an interesting uh thought I, you know for for the market itself it's probably I've been pretty much range bound for a lot since like I don't know march mid march um kind of bouncing around chopping around so Um, I think we'll probably stay kind of in this range. Um, the, the earnings, uh, I think the market was kind of waiting on earnings. Everybody kind of has every, all the, um, all the macro for, for the fed and and interest rates and things kind of all priced in. So, um, so far though, I've been pretty happy with earnings. Uh, you know, nothing, nobody's really blown anything out, which is expected, but not a lot of real negatives, not a lot of real bearish, um, earnings reports or or um or meetings outside of just a couple so still pretty positive i think we bounced around for a while um I, I still think the oil trade maybe not oil specifically but um really really bullish on refining still um and there's still quite a few small mid-cap or um refining plays that i think ought to do real well uh, once they report earnings i think there's still some big beats uh, lined up to come here pretty quick so
1: how do you, with the oil industry, how do you sort of balance the long term with not, them not wanting to make capital expenditures? Um, understandably so, because of all the uncertainty with the government essentially saying, we want you to be a zero industry in 10 years. Um, how do you think that really plays out? How do you, how do you see
3: that happening? So I think uh, I think the winners are going to do really well. I think it's probably it's probably a bullish statement for the the people that are left, right? So, because um, th- there's not a lot of capital going into the oil industry right now, but people are, you know, the, the refining, especially, and I keep kind of harping on refining the last couple of months because um, they're not there's not building any new refineries, especially in the U.S. A um, little bit coming on overseas, but um, that demand is still there, and they're still going to be you know, especially for, for diesel. So, so for jet fuel and diesel, the demand still going to be there and you still got to run a barrel oil to do that. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I think oil prices will probably stay, you know, in the high, I'm not saying they won't drop some, but they're going to stay in that profitable range, right? So, you know, 75 plus for the foreseeable future. Um, but it's going to swing the other way at some point. Um, you know, oil and gas, since I've been I've been in the business for 25 years, and ever since I've been here, it's swinging every five to eight years. It swings bearish, bullish, bearish, bullish, bearish, bullish. So um, there's going to be feast and famine. Right now, we're kind of on the front end of the feast. So we've been in the last two years, a lot of people barely stayed in business. Um, we, we actually lost quite a bit of refining, uh, a million barrels in the U.S. and three million uh, globally. And not much of that's coming back. So, um, that for the survivors, they're going to make a lot of money for the next few years. Um, and I, I think refining especially is going to do good. Um, I kind of see a, a paradigm shift with our paradigm shift, probably pronounce that wrong. <laughs> uh, a, a paradigm shift with refining. So refining's has always been a kind of a commodity business. They didn't have any pricing power. Um, it's always pricing power was always on the, on the barrel of crude and on the retail market. And I could see, see refining uh, in the future kind of having some pricing power there where they could, could actually dictate um, what they're selling for. So that, that might be an interesting shift coming up. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting
1: industry to watch overall because historically what I imagine would happen is as the booms would happen in the oil industry, the capital expenditures would follow that. Um, and if that's not going to happen right now, these businesses are going to be printing straight cash and they're going to be returning a lot of it back to shareholders via stock buybacks or dividends. And it's going to be, that's going to have a very powerful
3: effect if the, if the price of oil stays high for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And that's honestly, that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of leaning towards refining over, over production companies, right. So, or or pure refining plays, I guess, because like Exxon, uh, some of the bigger players, you know, they have a lot of capital, even though they're reducing capital, they still spend a lot of capital on, um, you know, on production. It's expensive to drill, uh, to drill well and, um, and to make it marketable. So some of those companies are still going to have to spend even just to maintain the status quo. Um, But refining doesn't necessarily have to, Um, they can sit where they are. And, you know, I posted on common stock the other day, but there's also another interesting thing where, you know, uh, gasoline could get really cheap. And they can still make a lot of, uh, a lot of money on, on diesel and jet fuel. So, um, just because if the the demand for diesel and jet is high enough, you only get about, um, so it's two to one, right? It's two to one gas to diesel, um, out of a barrel of oil. So, um, there's, there might be a, a glut of gas on the market. Um, so, so transportation fuels and that, that could actually affect the EV industry too, right? So. It's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. I mean, we're just kind of watching it in real time. Yeah, and I mean, it's just a different
1: kind of market. If capex is low and supply has reduced because of different refineries coming offline, it's it the demand doesn't need to do a lot if your supply is shrinking and there's nothing new coming on.
2: Hundred percent, hundred percent. John, go for it. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to be more specific on I guess what I was saying. So, right now, from a uh, I guess a technical aspect, um, and I'm looking at it more as from a trader perspective. But right now, from my statistical models, it's saying 95 dollars a barrel for oil is basically where the trend line is. So. If uh, if oil stays below 95, it's bearish, and if it's above 95, it's bullish. And from a trader investor standpoint, I think that if you can if you can sell oil at 95 dollars, just under 95 dollars, once it breaks, which I think is it's under right now, somewhere in the low 90s, if you can get close to that 95 dollars a barrel as a short, and then cover it once you have. One of the dips, um, you can trade it back and forth, even if it stays in a range. But from a statistical standpoint, uh, on price, um, ninety-five dollars is is uh, a signal for oil going lower, and that can change, you know, as the price fluctuates and goes above or below that number. But right now, that's that's what I'm looking at as far as shorting oil. And some of the things that may play out in the long term, as we're all familiar with uh, the short term, a lot of swings back and forth can happen and they can definitely be some profitable opportunities. But I do think that shorting oil right now um, is and and my statistical models definitely say that shorting oil right now is the best setup on the board um, across asset classes.
3: Yeah, I, was, I, I figured you were talking from a technical trader standpoint, and that's it's pretty interesting um, in the short term. Did, did, what does your model say? Like, what's the target on the low side, do you think?
2: Um, so it doesn't really do predictions um, in the sense of, like, price targets. It's more of a reaction to what the model's doing. So to give a quick sports reference, if Steph Curry is open in the corner for a three, you pass him the ball. And – if a defender hurries up and closes out on him before you can get him the ball, and maybe this is a bad example, you probably give it to him anyway, but in just the sake of basketball, if your man's defended, uh, you, just, you don't pass it there, but it's more of uh, a reaction of, you know, what is the best probabilistic outcome, uh, uh, whether it be through probability or just the risk to reward parameters. So it's really just saying that below 95 is a very – optimal setup for oil and it's not driving that 95 dollars you know throughout time or anything but just as of right now 95 dollars is the spot where you pass the ball to the shooter in the corner
3: yeah that makes sense to me and you know there's some short-term effects like you know i think opeg just announced that they're gonna increase rates a a little bit and and we're, we're, we continue to, to release oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is idiotic in my opinion. But um, at some point, we're going to stop doing that. And OPEC is notoriously under under um, pumps, you know, what they say they're going to. So um, I could see that, you know, maybe a short-term dip and then a reversal of that. Uh, but but actually to, um, to my uh, to earlier kind of comment about refining, lower oil, and, and that's kind of the per, the paradigm shift. Wow, I wow, can't you not get that word out today, sorry. Um, the uh, the shift in that lower oil doesn't necessarily um, translate into lower crack spreads for refiners right now, which is um, not historically accurate. Right? Historically, it's kind of tracked uh, oil, oil prices. But right now, um, lower oil could actually increase uh, crack spreads because uh, the demand's still there on the refined product. the the um, The bottleneck now is refining. It's not really crude oil currently, at least um, not locally. It's it's we have crude oil for, for to to refine. It's more um, it's more the finished product and some specific products um, again around jet and diesel and and low sulfur low sulfur diesel is still. Although gasoline recently, I haven't checked it today, but as of yesterday, I think it was down in the kind of low teens um, from you know from like thirty dollars a, a barrel crack spread, and um, so it's dropped probably almost fifty percent or, or maybe more than fifty percent. Um, but diesel's still up around uh, low sulfur diesel still forty five, forty eight, something like that uh, a barrel. It's still a huge um, huge markup there, so that could continue for some time and, and lower gap, lower crude actually increases that margin, not lower it.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, obviously you work in the, I guess the oil space. Um, do you pay attention to any of the other energy type sectors?
3: Uh, a little bit, but probably not as much, um, much as I, I could or should. Um, I, I have a little bit of exposure to some natural gas. I think um, if, if we really want to get serious about, you know, low, low carbon or, or things like that or environmental protection or whatever you want to call it, uh, we got to we got to get serious about natural gas. And um, and uh, they I think they're doing it's kind of been fluctuating, right? So the problem in the U S with natural gas is that they had a Freeport, the export terminal in Freeport had an issue and they're not exporting right now. So, um, so there's a buildup in the U S but before that happened, especially with the Russia crisis going on over there with Europe, we were shipping out, um, a a lot of natural gas and prices were up pretty high. Um, I think they have come down since then, but Maybe in the last week or so, they've ticked back up. I'm kind of talking um, out of hearsay because I haven't actually looked up the numbers, but um, but I think natural gas could still be a pretty good play. It's an, an interesting industry because
1: my understanding is when you look at it, the price in the U.S. versus the price in Europe right now are wildly different, and with Europe being significantly higher, and right now the what's causing that is. It's hard to export. So we have, we're limited in how much we can export. And then on top of that, there is the freeport situation. So uh, but I'm hearing that there's a lot of capital being spent to sort of arbitrage that and open up those exports. So as you do that, Europe's going to come down and the U.S. is going to come up, um, which might create a lot of opportunities because the industry still looks pretty cheap from a stock standpoint.
3: Yeah, absolutely. If you can, now's probably a good time to be looking at um, natural gas companies, um, energy transfer, Williams, one companies like that. Probably a good time to look at those because yeah, prices are down right now because they can't get it out. But like you said, uh, if they can get it out, especially if the Russia thing continues, um, those prices are gonna are gonna go up quite a bit. And and I, we mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier, Fat Baby about the uh, the capital. They're, they're that's probably one place they are spending capital um, is on trying to natural gas exports, but also they may not be sending quote unquote capital, but a, a lot of companies across the board in energy are spending a lot of money on Opex, so they're spending a lot of money to stay running to stay running as fast and hard as they can to uh, capture the margins that are there right now.
2: What's very interesting on the natural gas subject is Dominion. Um, had been a big player, a big utility company in natural gas. And Warren Buffett, um, I think it was before the pandemic or maybe during the pandemic, had bought their um, their uh, business on natural gas uh, through Berkshire Hathaway. Um, it's, it's, as far as I know, that deal went through. So it's kind of interesting that he can still make some very big plays with his methodology, even at his age, uh, it, it still worked out because natural gas has been on absolute tear, as You guys have been saying uh, currently um, just to give context uh, to the co- conversation that we're having now is uh, natural gas is uh, currently um, at s- uh, seven dollars and sixty nine cents. Uh, the, the futures is it was at a high of nine dollars and75 and it's now at six i mean it's now at 769 um, and we've had some pretty volatile swings from nine to five to back to seven so it is definitely a market as far as the underlying not as far as companies go as far as investing in companies but just as far as the actual commodity itself um, is very a Something to be traded. Uh, It's very hard to invest in natural gas. It has uh, big uh, rips up and big rips down. So uh, something to be mindful of if you're going to invest in something like UNG, which is the ETF uh, for natural gas if you don't trade futures. Um, But it is very volatile and uh, a very hard instrument to trade. So am
1: I looking at this right? So it's $7 here and then it's like $190 in Europe? Are we talking the same units per megawatt hour? Uh,
2: that um, I I think it's measured in in like uh, BTU. Um, I could be mistaken. I'm not a natural gas expert by no means. Um, but uh, the I, I would say that the way that that's calculated or the the amount because uh, I know like the contracts and, and futures um, is based on you know a certain amount but the way that it prices it is uh, per so like if you're looking at corn it'll be priced in um in one bushel but it, it the value that you're trading is five thousand bushels so i'm guessing natural gas is it, got uh, some measurement that the future is looking at that is probably different than how it is measured uh, across the sea
1: yeah i think i i think i got it i think it's Thirty-four dollars in Europe, though, and that's by the BTU. So seven dollars versus thirty-four dollars—that's quite the disparity.
2: Okay, so it is BTU cool deal. Yeah, I thought it that it was, but I wasn't complete. Yeah, I just—it's a
3: huge arbitrage, right? So everybody's doing what everything they can to get it to get it out. I don't know if the Freeport situation can be resolved. Um, I think the last—it was—it was, it was going to be months, if not longer uh to get that resolved but if you think about it uh i mean with that kind of arbitrage there's there's tons of people spending money and trying to figure out ways to get to get natural gas out of the u.s and you know if if a couple of those figure that out and you um and you still got winter coming up and things like that now could be a good time to to get in on some natural gas place so.
1: yeah and i mean europe might pay any price this winter like they they might not have a choice they might they might pay whatever they need to 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 get it
3: yeah, and in that case, the, the companies that do have exports might reap those rewards, right? So it might be something to look at, um, not just
2: natural gas in the U.S. in general, but maybe some of the companies that have specific exports. So. And for all the listeners, I appreciate everyone coming and listening to our live version of the podcast. If you have any questions, like Chris said earlier, uh, you can raise your hand or request to speak. And we'll we'll take your questions or comments uh, to join in on the conversation Uh, so keep that in mind as you listen Um, what else you guys got
0: yeah just um, to wrap it up on the energy sector I I too kind of work in the energy sector um, sort of our company designs foundations for you know transmission lines and I know that you know companies like AEP and And even like dominion or duke energy and companies like that they've they've all been at pretty you know all-time highs for a while i think some of those are are starting to dip down a little bit but you know we're getting a lot of work so companies obviously have the money to spend to you know build new transmission lines up you know replace old ones and and stuff like that so right now that's a a hot in industry I, i think the hard part is it's it's already surged for so long it would be hard to get in at the at these prices so just to just to put that out there but um yeah moving on um real estate is the other one that's you know super hot right now we've talked about it over and over and over um do you get in our area i guess you know people are still building tons of stuff there's a new um you know, new construction really right up the street right now. I think they're trying to build another like subdivision or, or whatever. I I think I, from what I can tell across the country though, um, you know, the real estate, um, sector is starting to fall a little bit, um, part, you know, partly due due to rising interest rates, but also because it's, you know, it's so high that it got so high that it really just couldn't go up anymore. What is y'all's thoughts on real estate? And, um, yeah, we'll get finance hippie in here as well. I know he's he's big into real estate, but um, what is y'all's thoughts on on the real estate sector?
4: Can I ask another before we get into real estate? Can I just ask a follow up question on the on the oil? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so I kind of joined uh, late, and I, I feel like I heard you guys talking about shorting it. So I was just curious is is that what you said? You're thinking about shorting oil right now, and if so, what is your your time frame for thinking that will uh you know well thinking that will pay off
2: yeah so i was the one talking about um shorting oil so basically um i built a statistical model that has uh, variable inputs and right now it's saying that oil under 95 dollars a barrel is a great opportunity for short play um and it's setting right around trend so basically how it works is it spits out the number 95 that's basically above it is bullish below it is bearish right now so if you can get close to around 95 you would put on a you know right under 95 you put on a short if it goes above 95 you would cut it for a loss um, and even go long potentially but uh, what it's really looking towards is shorting oil so if you can get in just under 95 like as soon as it breaks below 95 which is currently at 93 but if you can get higher to 95 uh, as much as possible uh, that would be a the better risk to reward scenario because you would cut just above and you would just trade it with the high volatility that's in oil right now when you have you know anywhere from 5 to 10 percent swings uh, those are profit you know uh taking opportunities so it isn't something that we're holding for a target it is something that you're mainly just playing the flow of the market so if it goes below you short and if you get a nice little dip then you take some profits and if it comes back up to that level you can take another um, another shot with uh, risking very little capital to do so depending on which uh you know whether you're playing etf or uh, etfs or futures
0: yeah, one one thing to point out if you, you're late is John's looking at this solely from a a trading perspective, a trading vehicle. His model is based on kind of statistics and the numbers around it, um, which is gonna be more of a short term type type deal. We had Parrot talking earlier, who works in the oil industry, and and he's kind of, you know, looking for it to stay in kind of the same area as as far as maybe go up some in more of a longer term frame, but I just wanted to point out that John is speaking solely as like a trading vehicle. Like he said, riding it, you know, back and forth. You can short it at at that point, and once it once it goes down some, you take your profits and get out. You're not going to sit there and hold it and try to ride ride it way down.
2: Yeah, and not just with oil or with anything, shorting is a is very difficult to do. And once you do have profits, you're better off to take them. But that's not to say that once it breaks down and volatility starts to expand uh, the the main um, the evil enemy versus any asset class is volatility expanding. So if you continue to get an expanding volatility on asset class and it's below trend levels, um, you, you can really make a lot of money on that and the the great part about this setup is you can get in right around the trend level and you're not going to be risking very much and your your risk or reward is uh, if you're playing futures it's a 20 bagger if you're um, playing etf it's probably a i mean especially if you're playing options it could be like a five to ten bagger so there's a lot of opportunity with very little risk which i know um fat baby has uh some options that he trades in the short term uh this would be like one of those cases where uh maybe you take a small percent of your portfolio to allocate to a short trade to kind of balance out your book
0: yes sounds good so um we answer your question um hippie
4: gotcha yep no uh, i do appreciate that yeah i'm not too into the short-term trading i don't know how to navigate the space but i appreciate the clarification thank you guys
2: yeah and it's uh short term can be anywhere from a day to 6 months um but it's definitely less than a year
0: yeah so yeah so moving on to to real estate um do you guys have any any thoughts on the market um what are y'all seeing in in your area as well as um you know just any thoughts on the broad us uh, market
1: yeah, I think the what the Fed's trying to do is working. They're trying to cool the economy and they're pricing a lot of people out of the housing market, slashing demand way down. And it's working. It's working by me. The prices are falling um, not far. It's more like people put in a crazy ask price and it used to go 20K over and now it's going 15K under their crazy asking price. So. Uh, that's really all i'm seeing is that the the cost of buying a house is rising substantially with interest rates and that's imp- impacting the market
2: yeah and i would say too is that um with 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 the fed i do agree that they are executing on their plan and it's working so far the problem that's usually with the, the problem with the Fed usually is they they take it one step too far and then it can potentially crush markets like it did, like we had the reaction in 2018, top of 2019 when they were raising too fast. My only concern is that we raise too fast and then we put like, you know, the stone is going up the hill, you're pushing it and then it starts to lose momentum and you're like, okay, good. We're not going up so fast, but then you accidentally push it off the other side.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're expecting a soft landing here, you're you're in a you're in for a
3: world of pain. Uh, it's just
1: history's not on your side.
3: Yeah, that was going to be my comment too. I mean, they always start late and overshoot on both directions every time. So um, <laughs> history's not definitely not on your side. Uh, from the housing market, I'm in the South, so um, Oklahoma, Texas kind of area, and got some friends in real estate. And what I'm seeing, I haven't been looking specifically at prices, but what I'm what I'm hearing from from my friends in real estate is that the uh, the market's still really hot, and mainly because there's not a lot of supply, so people still aren't selling a lot of houses, or at least not not near where the buyers. So some of the buyers, some of the demand may be going away, and I think prices are stabilizing. They're not they're not jumping like they were, but at least what I'm seeing around is that. Uh, the prices are stabilizing kind of around here and mainly because there's not a lot of supply and a lot of options out there. So,
0: Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing where I I'm at as well, um, which is just a little, you know, again, kind of in the South, a small town in um, Virginia um, near Virginia tech. Um, So just a college town, but it's kind of, it's kind of not indicative of, of what the whole U S real estate market is because the the way it's it's been going in this area is we're still seeing the shift, um, especially right, you know, after COVID of people wanting to get out of, you know, big cities and, you know, into smaller towns. And, you know, this happens to be an area that's a small town, but there's a lot of stuff nearby because it is a college town. It's in, um you know, the middle of the mountains. So people, you know, are big on the, the nature type stuff. And this is one of them areas. So I don't think we've seen it slow down here, but you know, throughout the US, it, it seems to be slowing down a lot. Like I said, across the street, there's a new construction that they just started in the last week or so. It seems like they're building like a small subdivision or something right down the street. Um, but yeah, in this area, it's still hot. And like you said, a lot of that is is due to um, demand. I mean, a few months ago, luckily enough, we bought our house um, Probably a year or so before COVID, uh, maybe a little less. And when prices were still down, interest rates were, um, you know, still still down. So we got a really really good deal. And then on top of that, the people who lived here had built a house elsewhere, and they just needed basically this one sold. So we got a super good deal. So I like where we um, stand on our um, personal house. It, you know, even if the market plummets, we're probably still going. Um, going to be up but you know that's that's just kind of what i'm I'm seeing right now and you know a point of the you know it's hard for people to you know buy houses and demand and stuff you know we got a handwritten letter in the mail maybe like a month ago of a couple who's literally been looking in this area for you know over a year and they basically hand wrote us a letter and was like and this was back before the market even started to dip a little bit You know, requesting, you know, asking if we would sell our house at 10, 15 percent over the current market price at that time, because they just had been looking so long and, you know, really didn't have any options. And then back to the point of, you know, about the prices, the other thing to look at as far as like the that could hurt the housing market that I don't know that people think about as much is with the interest rates. You know, housing is the housing prices are already so, so high up, it's hard for people to afford. But then when you throw in the interest rates now, you know, someone who could have got approved for a three hundred thousand dollar loan when the interest rate were four percent, that may not be the case anymore when we are talking seven, seven and a half percent interest rates, So the amount of people who are able to get loans due to the interest rates are are probably, you know, going down as well. Um, Hippie, you have some?
4: Yeah. So, what's up, guys? I am in the the Denver market, the suburbs of Denver, and uh, some comments. You know, yeah, definitely the interest rates are going to make a big uh, a big impact on it, right? The past six months, as they were rising, it also lit a fire under people's asses. So, so you know, home prices went up dramatically. But uh, I do not see home prices ever go dipping below you know, pre-COVID levels, you know, I'm very, fairly confident in that, but yes, you know, I am seeing a little bit of a slowdown in in my area versus the past six months. Right. But, you know, versus eight months ago or nine months ago, we're right there, if not better. So it's all about, you know, zooming in or or zooming out in in that aspect. Um, But you're talking about crazy amount of gains in the past, you know, two years that just was not natural, um but it doesn't seem so bad you know houses seem to be staying on a little bit longer they're going for asking right whereas maybe a year ago they were going for 20 50 60 grand over asking now they they seem to be going just for for asking but um yeah ultimately i think you know if you got your house two years ago or more it, it's pretty you know irrelevant uh, what, what what happens and uh I was looking for a short-term short-term rental for for a while, and for that market, I, I feel like I got priced out, and and the numbers just don't make sense. I, I do have a suspicion that if there is a bubble and there is pain in the real estate market, it's going to be the the short-term rental space. Too many people over the past couple of years were were buying their second homes, and if a recession hits, it you know, generally your primary is going to be okay, and a lot of people refinance a lot of it's not like the subprime you know, era where people were getting mortgages that they couldn't afford. So I think as far as primaries, people are going to be safe, but the, the second secondary homes and the, and the short-term rentals, that's the space I am, uh, you know, looking to see pop quicker or, or fat or see the most pain uh, over the next, you know, year or so, uh, which could present some good opportunities, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that's my kind of, uh, observation so far.
3: Yeah. You made a good point with that. Cause I, I mentioned supply, but that, that could be a, a place where you could get some supply, right? If we hit a recession, those secondary homes could be a, a good market for, for supply hitting. So you could see that I, you know, I failed to mention, but we all, you know, being where located where I'm at, um, we are still seeing a lot of transplants from, from other States. Some, I won't, I won't say more liberal States, but maybe blue States is the right word. But, um, you know some, some of those expensive markets out in California up the West Coast and, and stuff that are still moving in, so um, that's that's kind of been helping prop the prop the prices up you know, kind of in the in the mid con. So, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a good point on that, on the supply on the second homes and, and things like that. I see where where prices kind of are at a point where even even trying to get um, you know buying rentals and things like that don't really make sense anymore. The other piece that I, I will just mention real quick is that you know I keep I don't know a lot of specifics because I don't follow that space real close, but um, I, I know that there's a lot of uh, word on the street about corporations, right? These these uh, companies that are just going in and buying tons of housing. Um, I think I heard in passing something like twenty five percent or something of housing is owned by corporations or investment trusts or whatever. So that that's an interesting uh, piece too that could either maybe drive demand or increase rents on, um, even if there's no, even if housing goes down, maybe rents still go up. I I don't know. It's, I haven't really thought that through, but another interesting point. Go ahead, John.
2: Yeah. So, uh, my question, I guess for finance hippie, he talked about maybe buying another property or was going to buy another property to, uh, rent out for income. What is some of the numbers? Are you trying to get a certain percent, like say for easy math that you buy a house for $100,000? What are you trying to get as far as a return? Are you trying to get 1% a month? Are you trying to get $1,000 a month and try to hit a 12% gross income on the property a year? Or what's some of the numbers that you look at of how much you spend versus how much you need to get in rent for it to be decently profitable?
4: Sure. Good, good question. So in my case, I was solely looking for short-term rentals. So I had that short-term rental mindset and, uh, not exactly looking for like the 1% rule where I'm looking that 1% rule or any of that stuff doesn't, you know, exist, you know, you can't even find a piece of shit home for, for under, you know, 300, 400 grand. Uh, so my, my goal is a short-term rental. A short-term rental has a lot of, um, there's a lot of more work involved with it. Right. And you're, are you
2: saying short term rental as far as like Airbnb short term rental versus a yes. traditional rental property?
4: It, it, exactly. So, you know, some sort of, you know, and, and there's a few different options, right? Airbnb or even renting it out to uh, like traveling nurses or, or doing monthly. For me, I think the sweet spot is really mo- monthly rentals, but um, my plan or my goal target would be at least double whatever the mortgage is. Uh, you know, it's not, a little bit of a different answer than you were looking for. But if I couldn't at least double the mortgage, then, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. And even at that, uh, it is still not, you know, not great. Plus a lot of it, you know, especially in my, in my areas, I was looking at, they're, they're very seasonal. Um, so. Well, and that uh,
2: makes sense too. I mean, as far as the amount that you can make on short term rentals is probably exponential, what it would be on renting someone for a year at a time or, or on an ongoing basis. So that makes a lot more sense that so you're basically trying to double whatever your um, monthly expenses would be.
4: It, it, exactly. Um, and then just kind of another comment, just to, uh, off with power, just talking about with the, the corporations buying the houses and some of that, to be honest, like at first I'm like, Oh, you know, the socks and it's rising up, you know, blowing up prices. Cause if, if BlackRock and, and you know whoever owns twenty five percent of real estate, uh, it it does it adds a lot of competition to to first home buyers. But to be honest, when I, when I look around, at, you know whether it's my block or just you know in general, a lot of people don't don't have what it takes to maintain a home. You know, uh, to to maintain a nice home, it it does require a lot of work. And you know, we'll, we'll see what the next you know couple of decades hold for us. But Maybe it's for the best that these corporations are, bu- are buying homes, just because, like I said, people just people are hoarders, and people, you know, don't know how to you know take care of their trees or, or anything their lawn their their property. Shit goes wrong; they don't know what to do. People get older, um, they they they're helpless. You know, maybe their spouse dies, and then they're all alone. They don't know, you know, so this whole uh new kind of world of BlackRock buying up all the homes might be. I don't know. I, I, I do see some upside to it uh, as a whole. But I do you, you know,
2: think I'm, that they are renting out on a long term basis or doing more of what you were talking about on a short term basis?
4: So, I, I believe those type of companies are looking more for for the long term space, whereas some smaller companies are doing the the, the short term space. I, I rent rented out a place uh, for my friend's bachelor party in, in Scottsdale not not too long ago, and you know it was run by a corporation but a mini corporation you know not like a blackrock a place like blackrock isn't really trying to get into the short term rental space i don't think i think it's a lot of work whereas a company specializing in short term rentals and that's all they do you know those type of smaller companies are probably buying these uh these type of houses and and i've seen that firsthand so i guess a little bit of, of, of both
2: so for yeah. something like the uh, blackrock um, I believe that's who you said. So, for someone like them, is there a point to where it doesn't make sense for them to invest because, like you said, the price goes up enough to where maybe the rent uh, that they're going to receive isn't going to be a big enough income versus how much they spend? Or do you think they're just buying regardless? Oh, wow.
4: that I mean, that's a good question. So, they have a lot of smart people you know, working for them, crunching numbers. And if acquisitions don't make sense, they're not going to keep doing it, but they have so much purchasing power and they have so much behind them that they could take risks and they could hope for appreciation. So when things might not make sense for, you know, uh, immediately or even for the first few years, they have the ability to wait out, um, to wait out, uh, unprofitable years and hopes for appreciation and hope for rent rises. Whereas a mom and pop, you know, uh, mom and pop landlord will have much more trouble doing that. Whereas they could literally just run off no cash flow for, for decades, you know, just maybe making off the, um, uh, the mortgage pay down and all that, just like monopoly, right. They, they don't need the profit. So they have a lot of leverage, uh, and you know, so that part can be scary. Uh, but I would think like if the numbers don't work for them, you know, they're probably gonna back you know back off but like I said they definitely also have a a lot more risk appetite than the average buyer
2: yeah and I, I think with any asset class regardless of the supply demand aspect of it I think that a lot of it comes down to does it make sense as far as an investment goes how much I'm paying versus my return so if they start speculating and continue to keep the market high that seems to me like the the peaks and the dips would be farther apart especially if you have players like zillow and and some of these other things that were just buying houses based on appreciation and i don't think that buying anything just off of speculating whether the asset is going to go up or down as far as like if i'm constantly buying asset in basically hopes or thoughts that it's going to continue to go higher i don't think that that works in any um in anything that you buy as an investment it it, it needs to either produce cash flow or it's a short-term opportunity But I don't think that you can just buy in hopes that the market continues to go high forever. And at some point, it's it it almost has to price people out, regardless on their demand. So it's I look at assets as is this a good investment? Um, uh, I guess based on you know what 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 am I what is my return and also. you know, if I'm going to invest in something, at what price is this a good company? Because a company may be a great company, but at some price, it no longer becomes an attractive investment.
4: So, I mean, you're absolutely right. And you, we don't, at least for me, I don't necessarily know BlackRock's true long term vision, but they could theoretically creating like a monopoly, so to speak. And the more houses they buy, right? It's taking, it's reducing that supply. Um, and then you're forcing people that they can't buy homes anymore so they have to rent so then the rental market is so strong that they could charge whatever they want and it just creates this monster um, of just <laughs> skyrocketing prices again because if people can't buy a home they have to rent maybe they want rent, to rent a house because they have a family and they have no other option essentially f- but from renting from from BlackRock and BlackRock could tr- pretty much charge whatever they want so um the more the more the more they buy the more powerful they become it it, it is pretty scary uh in in many aspects and they they could take a lot of risks they could they could go like i said they could spend years just not making money uh building a a um huge portfolio of houses and no one can do anything
3: so (laughs) yeah i mean i've seen also where you know there's some some reports you know if they own 25 of the houses in a neighborhood they can overpay for a house because of the way pricing in houses uh, works with comparables, it actually raises the value of all the other houses they own. So it could actually increase their, you know, their book value by overpaying for a different house in the neighborhood. So, um, so there's, there's some of that kind of market games going. The one thing though, that it is kind of scary thinking about that, but the other piece of that is regulations, right? So you get to a certain point where you become big enough or too big, um, and then you start facing potential, you know, regulations against, um, against a monopoly or against, you know, pricing, you end up getting rent controls like they have in New York and other places. So there, there's a risk there for them too. So they've got to be careful with that. Um, I don't, I don't know all their, their math that goes into that, but it's, it's definitely more than the, the mom and pop place. So, um, and, and just as Hippie said, I just anecdotally, I, uh, you know, we just recently stayed at kind of a resort town, same kind of thing though. The, Company owned, you know, several houses, if not a whole neighborhood of, um, you know, really nice, you know, couple of two, two to $4 million houses that are written, you know, um, on Airbnb, basically, uh, resort area. So, um, but again, it's smaller company, um, kind of a local, uh, specialized company. So I, I agree that's uh BlackRock places like that are probably more, um, uh, long-term rentals.
4: Yeah. And just to piggyback off something you just said, uh, um, uh, oh, the regulation, and and that's a big reason also that scares me with the short term rentals because you, you see it happening across the country in many cities. They they don't want to allow it, uh, or there's all sorts of rules. You know, minimum thirty day, you know, thirty day stays, or just completely banning it, or only allowing it if it's your primary residence. You can only do it for a couple months a year. So with with that increasing regulation on the short term rental market, like throughout the whole country. Uh, some areas are, are worse than others it scares the hell out of me so it's like shit if you, if you buy a house and your main goal was a short-term rental and it, it won't work as a long-term you're really backing yourself up you know in a corner and all those things happen right now is another reason why i do think you know over the next year or two we'll start to see you know some uh some price declines in the in the secondary market like the secondary home market you know um so,
5: yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? I was, I was uh, just listening in on my walk and decided to request to speak to add a couple things. Uh, I, I'm in the South, as you can probably already tell, but uh, I've been kind of involved in real estate market a bit. And I was just going to add a little bit, piggyback off the BlackRock stuff thing you have to keep in mind with BlackRock why their strategy is just so like kind of sneakily smart is their cost of debt is the huge thing that differentiates their strategy from any of us when we're looking at you know what is now six seven percent mortgage rates they're looking at you know a couple well not a couple three three or four percent probably and maybe even lower than that and that just makes these high prices, well what we see as high prices just not that bad to them, especially when uh, as one of you guys are saying, like the long term time horizon they have, with the low, low rates of debt they have, it just makes them like unbeatable in the long term. And another thing you have to factor in for the, you know, huge asset managers like BlackRock and Blackstone, they they have like a large value on diversification that you know we can't really understand because we're not at that scale but the real estate market something that they've probably been not super exposed to but if they were it would have been more skewed towards office and maybe some industrial and stuff depending on who it is but they're probably trying to get you know after covid they realize their office bet may not have been as you know as sure bet as as sure of a bet as they thought and uh yeah, you just have to remember the diversification. And also, like, they're trying to create alpha, regardless of, you know, if the market, you know, if they think stocks, you know, bad opportunity, bad value, if they think stocks are going to go down 20% and they can buy real estate and only lose, you know, a little bit, then that they come out very net positive. Anyway, yeah. That That's
4: a great, good point. And just want to add, add a, a little piece to that when I'm buying or someone else is buying especially an investment property, you're, you're looking to put down 20 to 25%. And then with that, the margins might not make sense. And, and you have to have enough capital if something goes wrong. Whereas a, a place like BlackRock, they could put, you know, 40, 50% down on, on a house. I don't know what they're doing. This is just a, a hypothesis, but if you're putting down, you know, 40 to 50% down on, on a house, you're, ca- you're going to be cash flowing pretty nicely. So that's another advantage that they have.
0: have um, so this is something I didn't know about. And then I heard it, you know, I, I think it was on one of Whoop's faces. They were talking about it. Has any of y'all heard of like um the Lex markets?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Yeah. So basically what it is is, um i guess it's a new york based company basically they they kind of set it up sim i mean i guess not similar but they've set up where you know people you know they buy commercial real estate not specifically the company but you know groups of people buy commercial real estate and typically when you do that you know there's you know hold hold up periods and you know if someone wants out or this that and the other you can't really get out um you just whatever you want so they've set it up where they can take over portions of you know said buildings and most of the ones i've seen you know i just looked at very briefly before coming in coming on here um, just because i heard it earlier today but basically they've set it up where you can trade you can buy like a stock so like a a general person um just a small retail investor can't you know they can't just go out and buy a huge like business um complex in new york or or wherever else because it you know it's may not be offered to them it may be offered to you know more in you know people that have relationships with those people or and also there's like um finance hippie said it takes so much money to put down so basically what um this again i haven't vetted it or really know how it um, works i just you know heard it today it was going to get y'all's thoughts they have it set up where you know th- they're selling shares of basically properties so you can get on there and if you want to invest in real estate and you can't uh, you can't afford to buy your own commercial real estate you can get in there and buy you know however many shares of a building at whatever the price is $200 $250 and basically own a portion of that building and you know if it if, if they rent out spaces you collect rent um quarterly the same as you would if you owned the building it just has made it more um they're basically trying to make it more um the retail investor to have more ability to actually you know get into real estate their but like i said i haven't vetted the website or anything like that it, it seems to be kind of a you know a, a true thing not some mom and pop you know setup but i was just going to get y'all's thoughts like i said i just heard that today on another um spaces um then talking about
2: that yeah. so I had seen um, a website and it may or may not be the one that you're talking about uh, that was basically saying yeah you can buy shares or you can um, pledge a certain amount of money up and then they're going to pull everyone's money together and you'd be able to benefit the um, the rewards from that um, my, my problem with it is is you know how liquid is it you know how frequent can you pull your money in and out and it's also you're really trusting uh, a, a business to control that I would say for me if I was interested in the real estate game I would say you for me I would only have two options either go in and buy a house myself and and do what uh, Finance Hippie is talking about doing as far as like Airbnb and, and renting it out on a short term basis. Uh, I think as an individual, there's a lot of money in that. And then if you can't afford that and you're not in the position to do so, uh, maybe buy a public company that uh, is a management company that owns uh, properties. And maybe that's your way that you uh, get it through dividends or something. At least uh, you can trust it a little more and you can get the dividends that way um, versus trusting a a company that you may or may not see your money again.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, they talk about on their websites, you know, the liquidity and they explain it better. Like I said, I didn't really look too much into it. This I think is a little bit different from what you're talking about. This is kind of like, let's say for example, go back to sports, um, racing courses cost a lot of money. You know to buy a racing course it's like a million dollars so most of the horses a lot of them you know people buy portions like you can go in and say i want to buy a quarter of this horse with four other people and you own a horse this is like um from what i could tell mostly commercial um real estate so it's a lot grander scale where you certainly just couldn't go out and and purchase it but it, again i would have to read more into it but it's it's more on uh you know say some a group of people went in together and bought um, this building, and one of them, you know, wants to pull their money out. Because of, you know, various things, they're not actually, you know, they're not really able to pull it out. So basically, this company goes in and will buy out that piece or, or whatever, and then sell it off as smaller percentages. So you actually own a portion of the the business now yeah how yeah, for you sure. pull it out i don't really i don't really know too much about that like i said i i would have to get on there and look i just thought it sounded like at least a decent i'd you know a decent idea if they are you know if it is liquid and you know some yeah. some other legal things like that i guess because before you know if you couldn't commercial real estate's a pretty a pretty decent business to be in but you know, a lot of people can't get into that before you. You had like reits and stuff like that, but you really don't reap the benefits of you know renting it out to tenants and stuff like that. Where this seems like you, you has that at least potential.
2: Um, yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll. we'll uh, I'm gonna say something real quick, and then we'll let uh, finance hippie and then the parrot um, uh, give their input on this. I, I would say, you know, if you and your five friends are going in together. Yeah, that's that. That would be a, a separate thing. But if you're still going to a website to put money up, there's still a, a company or a person or someone that's going to manage that, um, where you are only putting up a small portion of it, and then you're still at the liability of the trust of that company. Um, go ahead, finance hippie.
4: Yeah. So there's two, you know, two sides. You said commercial or residential. So the commercial side of that is pretty interesting, but back to like the residential side, I think it's terrible. but um, one as an investor, right? The, the best things about real estate is leverage. You're able to put 20% down or, or, or less maybe. And you know, so if, if the home appreciates 3%, that 3% is really, you know, three times five, it's 15%. It's not just, you know, a 3%. So that's a big piece. You lose out on leverage. You lose out on a lot of the tax benefits. Um, you know, when you're running the business, you have a lot of, you know, write offs and, and, and all that. So you can't um, forget about that. And then as. A- so,
0: so one point on that, this is the one thing I did see in there. I, you don't get all the tax benefits, but it is set up where it's not a 1099. You would actually get a, a K1 form. So you do get some of the tax benefits from owning real estate through this. Okay. So that's good. And I'm sure
4: some of it, even, you know, if they're, if they're good managers, they'll pass it, you know, pass it down through you dividends or, or whatever. But, um, just another quick comment on like the whole housing market in general, I think it's bad for the housing market because these type of things are going to only push prices up so, you know, so much higher and make it more affordable. So yes, it gives people that couldn't buy a house, the ability to, to buy a share of a house and it's maybe better than nothing. But in the grand scheme of things there they're gonna and if enough of that exists, it's gonna be uh, you know raising the prices a lot that it's taking away that American dream for, for a lot of people. So you know I see two sides of it. Um, but the commercial side, I actually you know that could be a good idea. I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to you know investing in you know, a 5% share of some sort of commercial building or, or something uh, along those lines. but I don't love it for the, the residential space. Detroit. Yeah, and um, I didn't
0: see any residential on there, so I don't know if it's even in the residential space. The three properties I saw on there were all big, uh, bigger, like, office buildings. I think there was one in, like, I don't know, New Hampshire. There was one in, like, Portland and one in New York. But I don't think they were residential, Um, maybe outside, maybe apartment complex or something like that. But it's not – I didn't see any, like, a house on the side of the street. It, it,
4: you know, it, it does exist. Maybe it's not exactly what you're talking about, but a similar concept does exist for like the residential space. Um, but maybe the one you're talking about specifically, I think there's many companies and many people uh, working towards this, especially with like the the blockchain and people trying to do it, you know, through through coin, you know, coins. Um, but but either way, they do they both do exist. But it sounds like the one that you're talking about maybe focuses more on commercial. But uh, I'll let Parrot go. Sorry.
3: No, that's all right, guys. I'm going to have to run, but um, I just want to say on this topic that, yeah, I would just be cautious in the fact, I mean, it sounds good. And I've kind of had those, some of those similar ideas um, with some opportunities, you know, whether it's, you know, on the blockchain and things like that. So similar to what you were saying, but I would just be concerned that um, the management fees, right? So somebody's running that and those management fees are probably going to be pretty high. And they're probably, if you're interested in that space especially for most average investors i would just recommend just just buy a writ and be done with it right uh take the dividends you're going to get a lot of the advantage and you're still going to own a piece of the properties and you know in theory you own a share so um just buy REITs and and go from there I, I think that's probably the safer bet for nine the people
2: yeah for sure um the invest uh man or guy i'm sorry the invest guy go ahead
5: yeah, I I was just gonna ask, I I missed like half of that. I had a phone call, but um, are are you referring to like Fundrise, Streetwise, and all that kind of stuff?
0: No, it was something called Lex Lex Markets, L E X oh. Markets.
5: And, and anyway, I assume it's probably like same kind of business model. And uh, yeah, I, I was gonna say the same thing that was just said about most like, especially if people like don't own any real estate, like amateur investors especially should just stick to. Uh, like Reits and everything, I I've always like obviously Fundrise and other similar ones are legit and they have a lot of history, but they do charge fees. Like I know Fundrise, I'm pretty sure it's like a one percent management or whatever fee. Uh, but there's just a lot of stuff that happens behind closed doors with those companies, and I don't know. It has kind of a crypto like feel to it. Like there's going to be some scams in there. Whereas Reits, it's like there's so much oversight that yeah, it, just uh, get in there, get the dividends get some appreciation okay. it's same concept except you know the REITs are a lot more liquid and you still get some tax benefits so uh, I don't see I don't know I don't see a ton of reason to uh, put money in those unless you're just I don't know I yeah I just think stick to REITs so you can put a down payment on a property yourself yeah, that's where I'm at too. Unless there was a, unless there was like a specific building in your area that you were interested in for some
3: reason, you know, that you you had some personal investment in, um, but you know, from a local investment, I, I just would stay away from it. But hey, guys, I got to run. Um, sorry, I appreciate you having me up, and uh, I'll I'll be back again.
2: Yeah, appreciate today. you ha- uh, coming on, and uh, I think uh, a little bit of the crypto scams got mentioned. It's gonna fire up finance hippie. We gotta watch out. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, Parrot. Um. We'll we'll do it again in a a few weeks. Um. If you're not doing so yet, definitely go ahead and follow the stock Parrot. Um. He's got a weekly new newsletter. I, I believe that you can check out. He he posts on common stock and some stuff like that. So he's definitely a guy that's um worth giving a follow to. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Yep. Financeippy, what you got?
4: I just want to add one one more uh, comment on, on the whole space is. You, you often need to be an incredible uh, what's it called not incredible and uh, accredited investor.
0: Yeah, to, they to, they talk about that on there.
4: Yeah, so so and that's a big you know barrier entry. So that that means you know I think they might be changing the the definition, but it used to be you know having a million dollars net worth or or making like two, you know two fifty, or you can I think if you're not an accredited investor like I think with Fundrise and a lot of these places you're still allowed to invest maybe ten percent. I forget the exact numbers. You have to look it up, but like 10% or 10,000. So you're also limited how much you're able to, to invest in it. Um, fun, a place like Funrise, though, is definitely more reputable than maybe some newer ones. And um, as, as they were saying, the whole scams, it's, it's easy to, to scam people in creating like the, the Ponzi schemes uh, that you definitely want to be cautious and, you know, you you're doing your due diligence, but sometimes it's you can only do so much due diligence when you're just looking at a website, right? These guys are professional scammers. So uh, you know, definitely there's additional risk. And and that's why I, you know, talk about China all the time. You know, when you're assessing the risk of of of, of a company in China or or a company like, you know, that's an online real estate uh thing, you don't know the risks go far beyond what you, you think the risks are, right? The risks are not just I'm buying this, you know, five percent share of this commercial building, and you know, I'm paying one percent management fee. There's a whole risk that it's a scam, you know, <laughs> so you got to factor that well, in. Well, and that, that,
2: that brings in the good point of uh, risk management is that uh, order entry. So, however much you put up is always what you can lose, unless you're leveraged.
0: Yeah, and um, we'll have to get we'll have to get Wolf's opinion on this. I think he knows the guys, to be honest. I think that's what the space was about um but yeah we we've been going for about an hour and a half here hour and a half hour and 15 minutes so we probably should start to aim to wrap it up i'm getting kind of hungry as well so um before we get out here anyone's got does anyone have any closing comments whether it be on um things we talked about or um you know the earnings today um things you're watching this week or whatever it may be let's Let's get some closing comments. Fat baby, what'd I you was got?
2: hoping to get a hot take from the finance hippie about some crypto.
4: You know I'm always good for that. Uh I feel like all my hot takes on crypto have been said. <laughs> uh but I think we might might need to save that for maybe uh somewhere where we have more time, you know. Yeah, like, yeah.
0: Let's, everybody let's, eat. <laughs> let's save that. We'll set up one and it can just we'll basically just have Fat Baby and Finance Hippie duel for the whole time, and we can just all sit back and relax.
1: Uh oh. I'm down, though.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Fat Baby, you got any closing comments?
1: No, just be safe out there. It's crazy markets, all the stuff that's going on in China. There's a lot of risk out there. There's a lot of reward out there. So be safe.
0: Yeah, the, the invest guy, you, you got anything else that you wanted to ask or say? Uh,
5: Not really, just one thing. I was going to add to that last conversation talking about the fundraise stuff. Uh, I would just encourage people to, instead of looking online to invest in real estate, like if you have a little bit of money, but not enough for a down payment, like talk to people, you know, and, like pull some money together, you know, joint ventures, LLCs, all that stuff. And, you know, I feel like that'd get you a lot better of a head start in your real estate investing journey than, than putting some money in online on a website and locking it up for a decade or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I've got to run to nice having me on and uh, i'll talk to you guys later
0: yep thanks for um your contributions i i think um that's a good point i mean if you you can't afford yourself and got some friends who who want to get involved that that may be an opportunity unless you got friends like like john he he might try to to jip you out of them but john what closing comments what do you got
2: so closing comments um would be watch out in these markets we are in uncertain times which is not really much different than uh, any other time i guess life is uncertain no one knows the future and just make sure that when you are allocating or making investment decisions understand that no one knows the future and just make decisions based on the opportunity that's in front of you not the opportunity that you think it may or may not be in the future if it makes sense today that's all you have to go on and so if you're looking to get into something and it makes sense do it and if it doesn't make sense don't do it regardless of what you think may happen in the future because no one knows the future and all we have is right now so make sure you're uh managing your risk on an order entry and taking uh high probability setups and um you know don't put all your eggs in one basket so to speak Uh, take uh, good opportunities as they come and try not to speculate and at least have some kind of process to go by instead of just your thoughts and and feelings on a certain uh, subject be informed make good decisions uh, based on evidence and not feelings and make sure you keep your position sizing small because uh, markets are very volatile and uh, you don't want to blow up your account based on one bad trade.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that goes back to one of the things that Hippie was talking about earlier is, um, as far as long as we've known him, he's talked about, you know, buying a short term rental. But like he said, he he's done the math and didn't make sense. So he didn't do it. That goes, I mean, that goes along with trading, investing, or anything you do on a regular day. And, you know, whether you want to or not, if it doesn't make sense, no reason to do it um hippie um closing comments
4: man i think you guys nailed it uh on, on the head there so i'm gonna let you guys uh let your closing comments be the closing closers here <laughs> sorry guys bye
0: <laughs> yeah i guess the only thing i have to close is i wouldn't get too caught up on um this like nancy pelosi and some of these uh more political type things Is don't really have a effect those are all fun things to talk about which is why everyone on here is talking about it all week but in the grand scheme of things unless China attacks um it probably doesn't have that big of an effect um going down the road but but with that um uh, we'll go ahead and wrap the show up if you're not doing so yet be sure to follow the the finance hippie he always tweeting some good stuff and then um also if you're not following us um do so you can you can do so at swinging it you can follow that baby he also has some sort of like a financial blog each week. And um we typically record episodes um once a week. Sometimes we'll do an extra one and we, we've been trying to do so here on Spaces just to get, you know, more people involved. Um, you know, answer questions like that. So we're gonna continue doing um a few episodes here, you know, every couple of weeks on Spaces. Um, we'll probably continue doing some on Zoom if we have a, a special guest that we want to interview on. But yeah, definitely be sure to you know, come back next Tuesday and tell your friends, John, what do you have?
2: Yeah. This week on the just swinging it Twitter account on Friday, we're going to do a space of the day trading weekly recap. Uh, We're probably going to do that uh, around five, but I'll make a post on the exact time that I'm going to do it, but that'll be on Friday on the just swinging it podcast account that Chris is talking from right now.
0: Yep. And, um, We'll catch you guys next week. Have a a good week.
2: The contents of this week's episode of the Just Swinging It podcast are for educational and entertainment purposes only. All persons are only given their opinions and are not to be considered financial advice. The Just Swinging It podcast isn't responsible for any financial actions you may take based on the conversations held on this show.